Hello everyone, this is Tom Fox, and I would like to welcome you to a special five-part podcast series sponsored by Exiger on From Third-Party Risk Management to Supply Chain Risk Management. Exiger on the evolution of supplier compliance in COVID-19. First, a word about Exiger. Exiger was founded to fight financial crime, fraud, and terrorist financing by introducing technology-enabled solutions to the market's biggest supply chain, risk, investigation, litigation, and compliance challenges. The global authority on risk and compliance, Exeter services on the world's largest banks, Fortune 1000 companies, and government agencies and regulators. Exeter combines frontline expertise of former prosecutors, intel analysts, Department of Defense veterans, and compliance officers leading technologists and forensic accountants with cutting-edge, fit-for-purpose artificial intelligence technology. In recognition of the growing volume and complexity of data and regulations, Exeger is committed to working with clients to create a more sustainable risk management environment through its holistic and innovative approach to problem solving. To find out how Exeger is making the world a safer place and more effective place to do business, visit Exeter.com or reach out to any of the experts featured in this week's podcast series. Over this five-part podcast series, we will put a spotlight on financial institutions with Kara Loftus and Summer Pratt. We will put a spotlight on corporations with Aaron Narva and Ren McKetchern. We will put a spotlight on federal government and supply chains with Kerry Wibben and Vishnu Anatamula. Look at the pillars of good compliance with Brandon Daniels and Carrie Wibben. We will conclude with third party risk management solutions with Erica Peters and Skylar Chi. In this episode, I'm joined by Brandon Daniels, President Global Markets at Exeter, and Carrie Wibden, Senior Vice President, National Security and Intelligence. We take up some of the new challenges, new solutions for third party risk management and investigations where things have been, and more importantly, where they're going into the future. I know you will find it fascinating. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for episode four. Today, we're going to take up pillars of good compliance with Brandon Daniels and Carrie Wibben. Uh, Brandon and Carrie, thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Thanks for having us, Tom. So one of the themes that we have explored throughout this podcast series has been the acceleration of trends that perhaps we're moving forward in uh, literally six months ago, but certainly uh, in the 20 teens and how COVID-19 has really uh, exponentially in many ways accelerated trends. And I was wondering from where you all sit, what are some of the accelerated trends around financial, operational and reputational issues relating to third parties and supply chains you both are seeing? Yeah, thanks for the question. so just a little bit of background, I spent the last two, ga- two decades in defense and intel in the federal government, and um, really the last five years I've focused heavily on um, counterintelligence, counterintelligence matters and risk to our supply chains uh, in particular. Um, and when I spoke on the podcast on federal government supply chain risk management, um, I mentioned, you know, we knew the federal government, in the federal government, that there were significant issues in supply chains associated with critical acquisition programs, critical infrastructure, uh, and those supply chains being outsourced to foreign countries. And there's been an increase in both the awareness and then the initiatives 
to mitigate our risk, uh, risk to national security that that outsourcing presents. Um, the private sector in entities that comprise the defense industrial base are keenly aware of the threat proposed by the weaknesses in their supply chains. Um, so, you know, I think the awareness has really been increasing steadily, but what we've really seen with COVID-19, with the pandemic, is that the noise has been amplified considerably. Um, and I think most importantly, I mentioned this in the other podcast, you know, middle America has been awakened to the concept of supply chain vulnerabilities, um, you know, with the shortage of critical medical supplies across our nation and, and the massive problem of foreign reliance. So it's really become a household concept. Um, so a lot of the voices that maybe weren't being heard before um, are now being heard. And this has now become a personal problem for the average citizen. Um, you know, I think we've really seen the worst possible consequences of putting the bottom line and, you know, lowest cost before the health and health and safety um, of, of, uh, of, of our citizens. And it's really, you know, evidenced by the scram the complete scramble in the medical area to find safe and reliable supply chains for PPE and, and other medical supplies. Um, the defense industrial base and private industry are really in the same unfortunate posture as the medical sphere. Um, it's been underserved, it's been underfunded, um, but I think the signal is finally breaking through the noise. Yeah, I, and I would agree wholeheartedly with Carrie. I think, um, look, I'm, I'm an outsider uh, to, the, uh, to the federal government space. I mean, uh, specifically uh, the supply chain risk management and compliance efforts uh, that the federal government has taken over uh, the last two decades. I've largely uh, executed risk management or consulted on behalf of clients that uh, were trying to uh, execute uh, risk management uh, practices um, and uh, have, have largely seen this area mature alongside uh, alongside of the cases uh, case law that's come out as as Tara mentioned or uh, alongside of uh, uh, legislative and, and regulatory changes as as uh, uh, Tara um, uh, summer and uh, Ren and Aaron all pointed out um, I've seen this this sort of shift in maturation of uh, the critical areas of compliance that must exist in order to manage third-party risk evolve quite substantially over the last two decades in the corporate and financial space. So, so coming into the government over the last few years and seeing the uh, way in which um, acquisition compliance had uh, sort of had a gap in these areas of cyber, uh, adversarial capital, and operational risk management uh, was a was a surprise to me, right? Um, and uh, what I saw was in the COVID nineteen crisis, the uh, speed with which uh, the federal government had to build, um, first of all, a tone and a consistent message around uh, acquisition uh, and specifically the ability to acquire sustainable, reliable, viable goods uh, for the use of the American citizen and the warfighter uh, 
the the consistency and the and the the loudness of that message amped up 20 times during COVID, right? You heard uh, leaders in um, the uh, in in the various forums that are uh, made available to connect industry and government. You had you heard all of the leaders saying, "Look, uh, we need to get control of." our supply chains, our third parties, the risks that we run uh, by essentially focusing on our focusing our compliance on fairness of acquisition, on lowest cost viable goods, right? Technically acceptable goods. Um, and so you heard the first pillar of compliance sort of ring true in COVID in the federal government um, uh, and that was that there needs to be senior management commitment, right? And then after that, it was astonishing to watch the other areas sort of fall into place. And this is what, uh, I believe Carrie was saying is you saw a dedication of resources and, and, and additional responsibility on the frontline acquisition people to take seriously, you know, counterintelligence risk, uh, to take seriously, uh, financial crime or financial threat risk, fraud risk. Um, you saw people starting to think critically about uh, how you're going to risk assess entities. I mean, Carrie, um, one of the things that she may or may not have mentioned um, in some of the past conversations was just the responsibility that she had over helping the U.S. federal government to move to a, a dynamic risk assessment in people you saw that same risk assessment viewpoint that had been percolating really come to the fore in COVID uh, and, and, and become a critical part of how people were looking at the investments they were making and the um, uh, vendors that they were engaging. Uh, you saw better communication, better training uh, rolling out. And so um, what I'm seeing is the, the critical pillars of compliance that first I saw in financial institutions. Then I saw in the uh, corporate overhauls that you saw uh, sort of post the uh, Sunshine Act and the significant federal false claims cases uh, and FCPA cases and sort of the, the late 90s through the mid 2000s um, that really brought to heel a lot of very large companies that had been conducting themselves in, in ways that um, you know, sort of either edged on uh, uh, an illegal premise or, or was uh, potentially uh, outside of the law. And then uh, to now see those pillars of compliance that were developed by those industries sort of come to life in the government in the past few months has been, um, uh, has been again, I mean, it, it's been record-breaking speed, uh, but it's also been uh, a phenomenal reflection on where we've come in terms of understanding third parties and understanding their critical risk uh, or the component of risk that they play to our operations. Brandon, if I could pick up on that last point, certainly under the Trump administration, we had uh, multiple uh, ever-changing executive orders. We've had uh, changing in orders from OFAC around denied parties and others around trade sanctions. The Department of Justice uh, has issued both uh, new guidance on compliance programs and updated the resource guide we were able to visit on an earlier podcast, and regulatory requirements or changes. But 
changing. One of the things that uh, is seems to me to be an accelerated factor that companies and compliance professionals have to deal with now is industry expectations. I was wondering if you would have some thoughts on how companies can keep abreast of these changes and the markets that these companies serve. Hit the nail on the head that the pace of change, uh, the executive orders that you've seen, as you mentioned, as you look at what the Treasury is doing around the Committee for uh, Foreign Investment in the United States, the, the CFIUS reviews that are that are happening right now, as you look at what commerce has put out in terms of uh, an extension of some of their uh, rules controlling uh, financial, or excuse me, uh, artificial intelligence and, and how it's essentially deployed in the federal government and deployed in dual-use situations and the expansion of the uh, ECRA um, uh, to some of the emerging and foundational technologies. If you look at uh, Department of State or DOD uh, and uh, things like NDAA 847, what you're seeing is the awakening that we've been talking about in the federal government start to uh, really inform uh, legislative and regulatory policy outward into industry. Um, and that that is going to be the beginning of a constantly iterative cycle, right? What we first saw was industry really uh, improve and mature uh, reputational risk policies, reputational risk due diligence, um, regulatory analysis, and, and compliance standards uh, that met those supervisory or regulatory expectations. Now you see the uh, major agencies across the federal government and also in the UK, right? You saw the ban of uh, Huawei um, uh, technology into uh, their 5G rollout, right? Uh, so it's international. As you start to see this uh, awareness of the criticality of your supply chain and the awareness of how third parties can impact your environment, uh, start to um, uh, grow in the federal government and then uh, get responses from industry, what you're going to see is you're going to see industry go up another notch. You're going to see industry have to mature again. Industry have to be more expansive. Industry have to be more diligent uh, than they have to date about the risks that they're incurring uh, as they look to the providers that they use that are critical to their infrastructure. And then you're going to see the, the regulatory policies start to loop back, right? You're already starting to see uh, the Department of Energy look at um, the EO uh, on the uh, bulk power system. Uh, you're already starting to see um, some of the international uh, awareness of potential cybersecurity and espionage issues with relationship to critical industries like pharma and telecom uh, starting to change policy procedure and um, uh, spend initiatives in those industries. And so what I think you're going to see is, uh, you know, industry got us to one level, um, this awakening in the federal government and actually international governments uh, around the issues of counterintelligence. 
is going to get us to a new level. And then you're going to see industry have to respond, which is going to get us to another, you know, sort of broader, uh, more systemic uh, view of this supply chain risk and third party risk beyond just the stuff that, you know, you and I have been dealing with, Tom, like anti-bribery and anti-corruption policies or uh, beyond ethics or beyond conflicts of interest. I think now it's going to be national security issues, right? National allegiance issues, uh, dependability and defensibility of your third parties and supply chains that's going to start to uh, ring true in industry. And uh, that is something that industry has not contemplated in how they're governing uh, compliance today. Harry, earlier in the podcast, uh, you said something along the lines of uh, Corporations and businesses had really focused on uh, profitability at, uh, at perhaps the expense of the health and safety of their workers or other stakeholders. And I really wanted to maybe follow up with that a little bit, ask you, can companies use compliance to not only manage these risks, but leverage these risks back to a more balanced approach to health and safety and perhaps even uh, to stand out as a market differentiator? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, I think um, it, it, we're really just starting to see this trend emerge. And um, I, I see it, again, having uh, intimate familiarity with how the federal government has done acquisition uh, since probably the beginning of time, where it just focuses on the three pillars, right? Cost, schedule, and performance. So the challenge really that we were faced with, and I say we you know, wearing my government hat not too long ago, um, but DOD in particular, is how to bake in security into those pillars and really create the right set of incentives, carrots and sticks, to to drive the behavior, this, this, this sort of evolution to much more of a national security mindset within these companies. And the defense industrial base is estimated to be about 300,000 companies, so it's quite large. Um, but what we're seeing now, again, accelerated significantly by COVID-19, is that DOD is really aggressively, more aggressively than I've ever seen in the past, baking security in as the foundation of those pillars. And they're doing that in a number of ways, and, and, and they're doing it through you know, legislation. There's a lot of draft legislation coming out in the National Defense Authorization Act. There's already been a really increased steady drumbeat and, and trend line there. Um, to strengthen the law and the legislative requirements every year for supply chain, for cybersecurity, federal regulation, um, and defense. Uh, they call it DFARS, Defense Federal Acquisition Regulations, are being drafted and promulgated. And then lastly, it's, you know, this, these requirements are making their way into contract language. Um, so, and, and the last thing, you know, that DOD needed to do really is say that security is an allowable cost in the acquisition process. And I've now heard them say that consistently over the past year, um, that it's absolutely an allowable cost. That incentivizes industry, these 300,000 companies that do business with the federal government, uh, to actually be willing to make that investment. Um, in security hygiene and cybersecurity, uh, cyber sensors and, and, in uh, you know insider threat programs within within their companies, um, and then certainly investing in supply chain illumination and tools to understand and conduct diligence within their own supply chains. Those requirements, as 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 they continue to mature, I think DoD will tie them to performance. 
So as they look to award a contract, BOD, federal government, they always look at past performance. And I think they're going to start looking at your security performance as a measure of your past performance. And that's really the easiest way to back, bake it into the three existing pillars. Um, so so that's that's what I see happening. Um, and again, I think, as I, as I mentioned on the other podcast, I think the companies that take that seriously, the companies that make that early investment now and don't wait for maybe every contract to be retroactively updated with the language that mandates it, they will be considerably advantaged going forward um, and much better positioned to win future work with the DOD and the broader federal government. Ren and Carrie, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode. I was wondering if listeners wanted more information on any of the topics we've discussed. Uh, where can they go? Yeah, so I mean, my my favorite places, and and Carrie, you know, you you let me know what you think as well. I mean, obviously, um, with regard to uh, the recent uh, executive orders, I mean, there's a good amount of publication that's just in the Federal Register. Uh, in um, in some of the industry ins- associations like INSA, DOD is uh, supporting uh, an industrial-based council uh, that is uh, providing a lot of information uh, to um, uh, to the industry. And obviously, uh, NDIA uh, is another great place. Um, we've also had uh, an opportunity to opine on some of these changes and to give people practical guidance on how to solve some of the challenges uh, that these challenges that these changes will essentially um, necessitate. And so uh, if you go to the Exeter Federal Solutions page, uh, that's one great uh, resource. Also Exeter's uh, perspectives on the website. And then Carrie, any others that I'm forgetting? Um, I think there's a few other links, Tom, that we'll just uh, include in the notes section of the podcast. I think would be good references for folks if they want to learn more. Well, Carrie and Brandon, thank you so much. I hope our listeners will join us for our fifth and final podcast in this podcast series where we take a look at solutions and third-party risk management. Thanks again. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I hope you enjoyed this special podcast episode sponsored by Exeger where we're taking a look at third-party risk management and supply chain risk management. Check out Exeger on their website, www.exeger.com. We list uh, a lot of resources in the show notes from these two speakers, so check those out if you want any more information. I hope you'll join us again for our next episode in this special five-part podcast series from third-party risk management to supply chain risk management. Exeger on the evolution in supply chain compliance during COVID-19. This has been a special production of the Compliance Podcast Network.